So, uh, as is our tradition here in this church, we sing a lot of older hymns, and with those older hymns, there are always pretty deep uh, messages put in those hymns. We like to talk about them at different times of the year. We like to grab a few of them and get them because we often think we sing them and we don't take the time to stop and think. And so we are about that here in this church, taking the time to stop, reflect on things, think about things, and make some of these things extra special to you, uh, bring out the meaning to you. So that's one of the things we're going to do today. Is I uh, picked a song, one of our songs, one of the, our favorites. It's one of my kids' favorites, too. Uh, Hark the Herald, we're going to talk about... Hark the Herald, it is in your hymn book, and you can follow along when I get there, uh, 388 in your hymn book, keep that open if you want to follow along the, with the words. Also, we will be using uh, God's word as where these things came from, and so we want to illustrate some of the things that are happening. But uh, let me begin as we talk about Hark the Herald. I feel so often as a parent that I'm standing and talking to my kids and all of a sudden they're, you know, just, and I'm talking and they're throwing this down and making noise and turning to the side, talking to the other one, anything they can do not to listen to me uh, sometimes. And sometimes I get a little impatient and say, hey, listen. And they may quiet down, or there may be still a couple of side conversations that happen. And every once in a while, I just stop talking, just to listen, to see if they even get it, right? Do you get that I'm trying to talk to you? Do you understand? Are you listening somewhere, or are you just creating a lot of uh, clatter and a lot of different things? Are you distracted? Or are you really trying to listen? And so I wait in silence. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But that's where this song begins, because I think in a world that is full of distractions, a world that is full Full of so many things going on around, the very first word is listen. Hark. Listen. I mean, stop and take the moment out of your life that is full of everything but stop and listen to see what you can hear because you just might learn something. Just like my kids, maybe if you listen, we might be able to work this out. I might even have a solution for you. Hark and listen just a moment. And so we're going to do the very first verse of the song of Hark the Herald. I'm going to sing the first verse uh, to you, and then we'll dig into it a little bit. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. 
Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. The idea is stop and listen. Now, to begin with that, let's think about this for just a moment. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 2. In all the world, in all of heaven, in all of the things that the angels could say, basically, there are very few times that the angels break out to earth. Most of the time when an angel comes, it's one single angel that comes down and has a message for one person or a very small group of people. But one time in history, basically, God let the heavens open to see what they could see. Now, there weren't very many people watching at that moment. It was just a few. But God let these shepherds out in the hills, and we don't know how many, but a very small group, see the entire multitude of heavenly hosts, it says. Right? So a huge group of angels. And the one time in history where they open up and they have this huge, broad message. What is it that they have to say? I mean, it must be pretty important. And yet it's very short. A very, a very short message indeed. So if we turn to Luke chapter 2, verse number 9. We ponder this message... Luke chapter 2, verse number 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and I bet they were. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, and here's the interesting part, when the heavens open up, that was one angel, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass... As the angels were gone away from them, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now even go unto Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord, which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. When all of the angels in heaven sing, they sing one short little message. And if that's all they had to say to us, very first thing is give God the glory because he did something amazing. It's the most amazing thing that the angels have ever seen. Now think about that. We have seen and we are used to things on earth and we see 
uh, what is around us, nature. And it's spectacular. But this God's creation is stunted from sin. What have these angels seen God do in heaven? Did they watch God roll the worlds off his fingertips? Have they seen his creative work throughout heaven continue? And not just with physical things, but with spiritual things. Do amazing work. And the the most important thing they can think to say, and they're pretty wise, these angels, they can think to say, give God the glory because there will be peace on earth. It's coming from God's goodwill. That's the best message in all. All of the history of mankind. Because they know that we as humans messed it all up. And they watched us. They saw us mess up the greatest chance we ever had to live in paradise. We messed it up. And so they looked down and said, God still loves you. He still, he did this amazing thing and you don't have a clue. What's going on? So they tell us this great message. Give God the glory. Right? Glory to God. Peace on earth. We'll come back to that. And goodwill. In other words, God is on your side. God is on mankind's side. He wants you to have great things. Now, back a few weeks ago, I had the chance, first time I ever went to New York City, and it was an experience. I had to go for work, so uh, it wasn't something I necessarily chose to do, but we had some interesting times there and saw some things, and wanted to take Amy for a ride in Central Park in a carriage. So we went, got in Central Park, got in line. There's all these carriages and horses and carriages. And I thought to myself, well, I can do this in East Shelby for free. But, <laughs> but, and I've done it, and I've driven them even. But here we are. We're going to have this great experience, and we're only going to be here once. So let's do it. And we get in the carriage, and the whole city is filled with great agitation. If you can explain it that way. It's not all good. It's not all bad. But everything is very agitated. Lots of people on the streets. Lots of people in the way. I think the horns are a whole language in New York City. I I don't know. They use them all the time. Like, what are you even trying to tell people? I don't know. They just honk and keep honking. So it must mean something to them. It only was just kind of agitating to me. But either way, we got in this carriage Got on there, and in the midst of it is like a little, uh, it's a small park, I would say, um, in the middle of it. And it's quiet, nice, lots of trees. There isn't a tree hardly anywhere else in the city. But uh, we got to talking to the man that was driving us. This man was an immigrant from Turkey. He'd been here for several years. And we kind of got, after a while, and he's trying to tell us, well, this TV show's filmed there, this TV show's filmed there. And I said, yeah, but do you like America? Let's talk about America. What do you get here? What do you want to do? Do you want to do, well, you know, how long have you worked at this? I'm trying to make up uh, 
some conversation with him and, and figure out what he's about. And in the midst of that city, that man there got across to me uh, several different things. But one of the things he says is, I just want a little farm somewhere where I can raise a few small animals. He just wants peace in his life. I thought, well, you're not going to get it in New York City. <laughs> you're in the wrong spot for that. But all of mankind, that's really what people long for, right? Peace inside. No agitation inside. And this is what God is offering. And this is what God offers in a way that no one else can. I give you peace not as the world gives you peace. Not with some animals. Not with a few little, some farm or some quiet time outside. God can give you peace even in the midst of a big city in a place where no one else can touch you. Depth inside. And he can give you peace in such a way that no one else can give it to you because of what's happening in this next verse. Let's go to the next verse in the song, 388. Again, hark the herald. Verse number two. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Way back in the Garden of Eden. Way back in Genesis. And I'd like you to turn there in the book of Genesis. Mankind had lost their peace. Genesis chapter number 3 Adam and Eve had just done the unthinkable. They threw away the greatest opportunity that they ever had. To live in paradise with God, be in communion with God every day. It says he came every day and walked in the cool of the garden with them. His presence was right Next to them, they knew peace. They knew peace in a way that we have never seen peace outside and inside. They lived and walked in it, and they threw it away. And when they threw it away, God came back and said, well, you, I told you, you can't do that. I told you. That you cannot do that. And so in verse number 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis. After they had done this. God is telling them the consequences of what happens. And this is where he's actually talking to the snake about the woman. 
Verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It, or the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So way back in the garden, when the human race rebelled, God said to the snake, you will have this visitor coming. Through this woman's seed, you are going to have someone come. Later, the phrase was coined, a hero born of woman. Will come and will bruise your head and you will bite at his heel. All right? You'll think you got him, but he'll come and crush you. And the word bruise really is, comes from a word that means to crush, right? It is how you get bruised. It's how you get black and blue is by getting crushed. Those, those cells get all crushed and they actually explode inside, right? So getting crushed, you're going to think you got him by the heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's coming. So that very moment that that happened, The moment that the human race lost hope, God says, I'm going to give you hope. I'm giving you hope through this woman's seed. In other words, someday the woman, through a virgin birth, virgin birth, right, will bring forth someone who will crush this whole thing. So there's hope. The day that it happens. If you were to skip down to verse number 21, just to get and nail this down for you, verse 21, unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. And so that day God began to teach to the human race their need for redemption, for blood. An animal must die for now so that your sins can be covered. It's not good enough you sew some fig leaves together and try to do it with yourself. He didn't make cotton clothes for them. He said, this must die so that you can be covered. And so that day he began to teach to the human race the need for forgiveness, for redemption, Because that day is when they fell. And then the promises began to flow. That day onward, here comes this visitor. Here comes Christ. And we see throughout the Old Testament the story of him coming and coming and coming. But here's the thing. When God comes in, and it talks about the virgin birth, right? Christ by highest heaven adored, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. He didn't come that day. He was hundreds, even thousands of years after Adam and Eve knew they needed redemption. And we, they waited, and they waited, and the human race learned We need redemption. We need redemption. As it fell and fell again and fell again, God brought in Noah's Ark and said, we got to start this over with a small remnant. 
and again and again and again through human history he has held back the growth of sin and then finally Christ comes and says I will forgive everything you've ever done <coughs> veiled in flesh the Godhead see hail the incarnate deity so he's coming to earth and this is the strangest thing the angels have ever seen in all of history since the angels have been created all the way up through all that God ever did they said this is worth cracking heaven open to tell these people about this is the best thing they've ever done and we so often just pass it by we see it we don't think about it we pass it by but we don't want to pass it by it says in that verse pleased as man with men to dwell Jesus our Emmanuel Isaiah, if we turn to Isaiah, chapter number 53. This word, pleased, is an interesting word. Isaiah, chapter 53, it says he's pleased to live amongst these people. These scoundrels that live here on earth. He's going to take their form and come and give them a second chance. And that's what the angels are so excited about. You've got a second chance. He came and he did it and he's doing it right now. Isaiah chapter 53. And this is what God thought about it. Verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord. It made him happy to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall stand or he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So he stood in our place, and it's a funny thing. If you have kids... The last thing you'd ever think would make you happy is to watch one of your kids get hurt. That'd be the very last thing ever. You would never want to see your kids get hurt. And yet God has looked down at amongst all the nations of the world and said, my love is so great for those people that this is amazing. I'm, I'm happy to do this. That's hard to comprehend. And that's why the angels said, you don't know what you're seeing here. You don't know what you're experiencing. Let me tell you, this is goodwill towards men. He takes his only son and he's pleased to let him die for the human race. Every one of us. It's, he's happy to do it because he says I will redeem them every one of them that will take me and I will have them all with me in heaven 
So all the nations, that's what's interesting about this. You can look at all the religions in all the world, and they talk about trying to make yourself better and things like that. But this religion talks about the sacrifice of our God to save his people. That's why it's different. All of mankind can understand the cost of a human life. We can. Doesn't matter what, what country you live in, what place you've been. And that's why Christianity has spread to the world in every culture, in every place, because it's very raw and real. You know when your child dies that there is nothing so painful as that. You know when you lose someone who is close to you, there's nothing so painful as that. And yet it, God says, I will do that because I love them. Anybody can understand that. Any language, any culture can understand the depth of that. And so God says to the world, I'm sending you my son. That's my gift. My gift to you. And finally he comes, verse number three in the song. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. We're going to go to Malachi. Because that's... The last word, as we heard in the sermon, it was 400 years in between when God silenced his words towards mankind and when he picked up with Zacharias and Mary. 400 years before, this is the last thing he said to the human race before Christ himself came, before the New Testament started. This is the last story. And here's what you need to remember. As he is there, prophecy, this is from, from Malachi, prophecy is like a mountain range. And it's so hard when you go out west, I've been out west a few times, and you drive and you look at those beautiful mountains and you say, that is the most beautiful mountain range. First of all, your first thought is, I'll be there in 10 minutes fast as I can drive. Well, if you've been there, you know that that is so deceiving. Three hours later, you're still driving and it looks like it's 10 minutes away, right? <laughs> That's it. You keep driving and driving and driving. And all of a sudden, what you looked at as this mountain range, a picture where you draw it as a bunch of mountains all together, you come to one mountain. The next mountain's Five miles away, ten miles away, a hundred miles away sometimes. It's deceiving, but when you look at the mountain range, it does not take away from the fact that you can look at that mountain range and describe every single mountain peak. Very clearly, 
that one looks like this, that one looks like that, that one looks like that. But when you pass through with time, the first mountain you get to, it's like, well, here we are. Next one's 100 miles away. The next one's up that way, a long ways away. And you keep looking and you experience them as they come. Prophecy is like that. The prophet gets a picture, a vision from God, and he says, here's what I'm doing. And I'm describing it very clearly. And yet, as you go through the prophet's message in time, it may take days, weeks, years, hundreds, even thousands of years between those peaks that he describes. And he shows you very clearly. I can tell you just what those mountains look like. And so that's the picture as we look at almost any prophecy. There's oftentimes time is kind of thrown out the window. And he says, look at the picture. God's painting the picture just so you can see what's going to happen. And so we drive through this. And this is no exception. You look at this in Malachi chapter 4. You're going to see what Malachi talks about. And he is talking about Christ as he comes first time and of course as he comes again it looks all like a mountain range to him he's just describing what he sees okay so let's read malachi chapter number four verse number one we'll start with for behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea all that do wickedly shall be stubble and the day that cometh shall burn them up said the lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall Wow, he's like, seems like all over. He's talking about the last day when things will burn up and things will be gone. And he's talking about a day of judgment, but there'll be a division. And there'll be a division between those people who will have God in their lives and those who will refuse to have God in their lives. And he says, in that day, there will be a division. For those who fear the Lord, who fear my name, the experience will be remarkable. Remarkably different for those who will not. What is it that you get or you have as an experience? Well, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, as in light, righteousness, It's described as he raises up with healing in his wings. So it's like he is flying up, and with these wings, he creates this healing. Now, I don't know if you've ever had any intimate experiences with birds. Sometimes some of you are bird watchers, and you love to see them close to the windows, things like that. I was up sitting in a tree, freezing myself the one day, lately, and along come the chickadees, the little chickadees. And I've had them many times as I sit very still as I can, come up very close to me. Sometimes they've landed right in front of me. But the other day I had one first land on my shoulder, 
And then I had like a thing around my neck that kind of hung out. He hopped up onto that, and I could feel his wings against my face, which was the closest I'd ever been to a chickadee. I think he was like, whoa, what am I doing? This is wrong. Get away. <laughs> but he couldn't quite land there, but I could feel the feathers against my face. There is an intimate experience that God gives you that is unlike any other. It is close and personal and small sometimes. Sometimes it's great big experiences, like the wings of an eagle. And sometimes it's tiny and close and in your heart only that no one else can experience. I can tell you about it, but until you feel the flutter of the wings on your face, you don't know it. And so God comes and touches you, and he brings healing. It can be physical. It can be mental, emotional. But oftentimes, he touches you in places where no one else ever can, which is the deepest part of you and your spirit. He looks for the broken and dead parts in you, and he brings them alive. And he touches you in a way that no one else can. And so he rises up and he gives you a change. A change. And it says we will become like fatted calves, basically, or stalled calves. In other words, those are the ones that are treated the best. They are put in a little pen by themselves and they feed them the very best stuff and they protect them. They want them to be the very uh, most choice calves and that's what God does to us in the midst of the world around us God looks at your experience and says I will protect you I will feed you I will keep you safe when the world around you is crazy when the world around you offers nothing but crazy people angry people, frustrated people. He says, I'm going to keep you just like that. I'm going to protect you and put you in there. So I got a special job for you. I've got something unique for you to do, but I need you to know my hand's right on you the whole time. You are like that calf, protected, set away put inside there and fed on a daily basis all the best. And God says, I will treat you like that. That's what I want for you. So when it says that he comes, he brings light, he brings life, and brings healing. Here's an interesting thing. Oftentimes, he brings what we were going to talk about a little bit, peace. And when you say, well, I've seen this earth, and I would describe it as anything but peaceful. And you're probably right. This earth stands today where it is as something that is not peaceful at all. And yet, the Prince of Peace that comes into your heart and your life has begun and chosen to work in a very small way through you, through me. I am supposed to bring peace 
to my family, to my work, through the Lord, through the Spirit of God. Because really, God's quiet work in me is patience. His Spirit comes and says, you be one of the peace givers. You make peace. You do it in your family, at your work, because that's how I'm choosing to connect to all these other people. I put you in these places so that you bring peace to them. Not so they bring peace to you. You bring my peace as I give it to you. I will treat you and protect you and feed you because that's what you need. But I have a, cha- a task. is to bring the peace of the Lord out to it. And so we bring God's peace in an internal way. We bring it to others. All right? So, the last couple of verses that God has to say here, verse number three, and you shall tread down the wicked, that is you as that fatted calf, you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the days that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, by love we will defeat. Because that's what the commander-in-chief says we do. We come and we fight with righteousness. We come and we fight with love. Because that's how he said we do it. I might think I have a better idea some days, but he's got the best one. Verse 4, Remember you the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Which is a really interesting set of verses to end the whole Old Testament with, right? There will be major division on this earth. He's saying it. There will be it. In order to bring them back together, they have to be torn apart. Right? It only makes sense. So those that fear the Lord will be here to bring others to God, to show the peace of God, to help them and see and say, the Prince of Peace, he's the one for you. He's the one for me. He's the one for my family. He's the one for my workplace. He's the one for my school. He's the one for wherever I am. And if you accept the Prince of Peace, you will see and understand what God is doing. He gives peace immediately to us when we ask forgiveness. He brings it in a way that no one else can, right? He brings forgiveness to us. Second birth. He gives us a second chance. He raises us up and gives us that second chance. He was born to give us that second chance. So take the chance that he gives you, that second chance, and use it on others around. Bring the Lord to the people that you're with. Bring him out. Show show them about him. That is what we are here to do. We are here to tell others about the great thing God did for us. Angels break through heaven and say, Hey, 
Give God the glory. Talk about peace on earth. Will it come really to earth one day? Yes, when God comes, he will bring. There's a second time. He will bring peace on earth. He will put the families back together. Until then, spread God's goodwill to others. That's our job. He'll protect us. He'll keep us safe. He'll watch over us. He will heal through his experience with us. You know, as he rises up, as the wings flutter against us, we will feel the places where we have not been so kind and cordial. And God says, I need you to ask forgiveness there. I need you to be like no one else, but be like me. Go in, bring peace to that relationship. Ask for, for bring forgiveness into that relationship. That is how God works, quietly. Someday he's coming in and he's going to pound things in and make it all right. But that's not how he's doing right now. He says, tell others about me. That's how I want to be known. Show the love of God. Show and listen. Hark. Glory to the newborn king. That's the message. That's what we do. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Thank you very much. Thank you.